the celestials are scary. Like you look at them and you're like, I hate that. I don't like looking at it. But it, like, it's, I like looking, it's beautiful, but I'm also like very uncomfortable, you know? And, 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 the, and the, the guys in the Pentagon are like, get a picture of his face. Get a picture of his face. Like that's all they cared about was like a right. picture of his face. Yeah. Right. Just, it's disturbing me if I can't see him. Yeah, I don't like that it's just a big, got a big helmet on. Like, what the point? Yeah, I don't see eyes, nose. It's unpleasant. Like, what is that? I hate it. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. The only hope is X-Men. Welcome to Cerebro, the X-Men podcast where a homo and his friends dig deep into the history of Homo Superior. I'm your host, Connor Goldsmith, and with me today for a special bonus episode outside the usual remit of this podcast are two of the bigwigs at the Jack Kirby <laughs> Museum, director Rand Hoppy and president Tom Kraft. Rand and Tom, how are you today? Doing well. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's great, Connor. Glad to hear it. This is the first recording I've done in 2024, which feels <laughs> auspicious, I guess. I don't know. It's like, here we well, are. We're back at yeah. it. The holiday's over. Time to get off your ass and work. <laughs> so here I am, and here you are. Thank you to Zoop for connecting us on this, because we are here to talk about the first ever Jack Kirby crowdfunded project, a hardcover printing of the Sunday strips for Sky Masters of the Space Force, a book that is probably more obscure to superhero fans who are not Kirby enthusiasts. It's a co-creation with Wally Wood, the iconic indie comics guy who, I mean, Google him if you're not familiar. He was He's never worked on X-Men, so people listening to this show might not be familiar, but he was a, a real legend, a complicated, troubled, interesting, fascinating guy. And this is an interesting project. It's their imagined version of the space race beginning one year after Sputnik. So, like, we hadn't actually done the American space stuff yet. So it's science fiction, but it was very, very near future science fiction that was then outmoded by what actually happened a couple years later. It kind of reminds me of there's this show that everybody loves that I haven't watched, but they all tell me I need to watch it right now called For All Mankind. That's like similarly an alternate yep, space race thing. True. So fans of that might want to check it out. And of course, the Fantastic Four is also based on speculative space race stuff. Kirby is not someone I discuss that much on my show because his time with the X-Men was so brief. He was only on it for the first, I mean, technically 12 issues or 14, but like he did, yeah, he drew he the first 11. He did layouts for like 12 to 14 and then he would dip in yeah. occasionally, but it was mostly after that. Alex Toth and then Werner Roth and then Neil Adams and Jim Steranko and all of those guys. So I would say that the most significant Kirby thing I tend to bring up on my show over and over again. First of all, I I'm Jewish and I talk a lot about the Jewish origins of superhero comics because I think that's really important. And Jack Kirby, nay, Jacob Kurtzberg is obviously a big part of that. 
but also the Kirby hat, as I call it, which is sort of my term for any of those helmets or other headdresses with the pointies and the- Headgear, fantastic, yes. <laughs> Galactus and Hela are sort of like the ones I point, I'm like this is the, but like anything can be, so when other designers come up with something that kind of, I'm like, you know, Chris Bocciolo designed a great Kirby hat for magic. It's the subtlest Kirby hat you'll ever see because just two pointies on either side, right? I was like, that's the most successful Kirby hat of the 21st century. So I, I that is sort of his uh, perhaps most enduring contribution to X-Men lore is that there are all <laughs> these weird helmets with pointies on them because, you know, <laughs> Magneto has got one of those helmets. In fact, we just did the Juggernaut episode. My show, every episode is one character and, and tracks their whole history. And so we just did the Juggernaut episode and I was so confused during it because the 60s stuff is not my core wheelhouse. And my dad, who's a comic book collector, got me into comics, all that stuff, said that his favorite Kirby hat is Juggernaut's helmet. And I was like, but there's no pointies on it. So I do, like, I guess it's a hat designed by Jack Kirby, but it doesn't feel like it's a Kirby hat. And then I looked it up after I recorded the episode. I felt so stupid. It's an Alex Toth design because Jack Kirby <laughs> only did the layouts for that. And if you go to the layouts that he drew, which we have in pencil, it's a much more angular Kirby hat-ish helmet on Juggernaut. And Interesting. He's even got a pointy on his nipple, which I'm like, okay, Jack, getting a little <laughs> yeah, wild points. for 1964. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but half that episode's arguing that Juggernaut's a gay character in coding. So, you know, the, the, the nipple pointies, I guess, make a lot of sense on that front. No, it made much, so much more sense as an Alex Toth design because it's, he like Space Ghost and all that. He loves a rounded helmet. Yeah. Anyway, point is, <laughs> when I think <laughs> of Jack Kirby, I would say probably like my first three associations, and they're probably most people in whatever order but i would say like the fourth world new god stuff is first for me and then fantastic four and then captain america like those are kind of the three things i most associate x-men i think of as more of a stan lee joint of course arnold drake would say that he came up with it but i've always found that claim a little specious about doom patrol <laughs> Because yeah. I'm like, Doom Patrol is just Fantastic Four, though. So, like, are we really going to play this game? But, you know, But it's whatever. the wheelchair, man. The wheelchair. There's a guy in a wheelchair. I guess he ripped you <laughs> off. Like, right. uh, you know, I get that people feel certain ways about Stan over the years. But, like, that one, I'm like, okay, that's a little that's a little wacky. It came out the same year. You might need to relax a little bit. You're not the first person right. to invent a guy in a wheelchair. <laughs> but, anyway... I'm interested to hear more about this project, about your work with the Jack Kirby Museum. I actually went to your pop-up by the Brooklyn Bridge way back when you guys did oh, that. Oh, wow. Prototype oh, the Alpha. Williamsburg Bridge, actually. We were on over on Delancey Street. You're right. Yeah. You're right, because it was the Lower East Side. I just remember being under the bridge and being like, the pop-up yes. is here? <laughs> <laughs> that was 2013. The first, the first one. It was great, great fun. Yeah, I was going to say, have you guys done more of those? Because I live in L.A. now, yes. so I, I haven't oh, yeah. been to any recent pop-ups you might have been doing. But if you're doing more of them, I would be happy to come if I'm in New York. Because I'm in New York. My family's here, so I'm, I'm in New York. I'm, I said here because it's New Year's and I'm still here presently in New oh, York. Okay. I, sorry, this is, I'm actually in Westchester, New York, which is part of the X-Men of it all. True. I got yeah. geographically challenged there for a minute, but yeah, I'm with yeah, you Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. Okay. No, okay. it's totally fine. We're new, and so I'm I'm just sort of easing you into uh, <laughs> all these details of my life that you don't actually need to know. Okay. <laughs> but I'd love to hear now about some details of your life. I'd like to hear about how you both became involved with the Jack Kirby Museum, your 
thoughts on his X-Men work, which I imagine is not what you're asked about most. Because <laughs> I do think he was a big part. I mean, the Magneto design, it's still the same today because it was just that good. And I do think that the reason that Chris Claremont found Jean Grey to be such a compelling character is because of the way Kirby drew her very actively in the action sequences, even though the dialogue didn't always fit check out the kirby minus words tumblr if you've never seen That's it right. it's a fascinating right. little feminist yeah. project yes yeah i'd love a little bit of your origin story with this project and with preserving this man's extremely important legacy that for so long went largely unremarked upon sure um shall i go first sure one of you has to, so uh, sorry, right. I guess. You know? You're the director. Allow I'm just the me. president. <laughs> this is a very Stan and Jack conversation. Who's the director? Who's the president? Who goes right. first? Whose right. name is first? Right? Like so. Um, so I've been a Kirby fan for a really long time, and uh, was uh, really um, enjoyed uh, when the Jack Kirby collector first came out, when John Morrow put the Jack Kirby collector out into the, into the comic shops um, that really uh, kind of fortified my, my, my ideas about Jack and design and stuff like that. And I actually learned how to make a website in order to put the Jack Kirby collector on the web. So that was like years and years ago um, that, that when, when, we didn't really even know what websites were. And uh, I was working with John on, on his website. And, and in my non-comics life, I had a number of client, small nonprofits that were my clients for um, web design and, and graphic design and media. And uh, I, I just was like, you know, why doesn't Jack Kirby have a, a small nonprofit devoted to promoting his work? Um, taking care of his his legacy for in, in scholarship and and for publication, so I, I pitched the idea to John Morrow and he, and he um, thought it was a good idea. So uh, he contacted uh, Lisa Kirby and and she said, "Well, that sounds that sounds great. Let's go." So we 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 were founded in 2005. We're a virtual nonprofit. We don't have a publicly facing gallery space. But uh, a few years after the founding, one of our members, Mr. Tom Kraft, uh, <laughs> suggested that we start building a digital archive since the prices of Kirby art were just Impossible. continually going up. Con You're going to need a MoMA level budget to get <laughs> yeah. all those. You, you need some rich patron of the arts to like donate Correct. $30 the million dollars nice worth of work too. to you. Yeah. Like yeah. there's just no yeah. way. So Tom. But I remember seeing some of the stuff you guys do have at the pop-up and it was just wow. Like looking yeah. at it, there's something very different about, particularly now that so much of it is digital to begin with, the art. And there's nothing wrong with that. I own artist proofs that I think are just as good as anything. But there's something really special about seeing the hand-lettered, hand-drawn, like big boards with the stuff. It's just something that it feels so weird and different like you're looking into the past somehow like you're right. there it's nice it, it feels yeah. like something that should be in a museum is the thing so the logic yeah. makes a lot of sense to me and so you know that we've been you were at our first pop-up so that was for one of 
first of what five or my six god time? that was 11 years ago five. it was yeah. 11 years ago yeah five tom you think i think four yeah. okay no five five you're right five five yeah, yeah. so we, we we do pop-ups we go to comic cons um we go to uh we do a lot of scanning we 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 people bring their kirby art to the shows we will go to kirby's uh to the fans um homes tom takes trips to to heritage right tom yeah. yep texas so Thomas. you know yeah. anywhere there's kirby art our goal is really just to archive everything we can and you were at the pop-up, so you probably saw those interactive displays. <laughs> yes. Where you could flip between things. I was wowed. Brand just coined that phrase. I, I like displays. to call it paper, paper-based paper, interactivity. That's what it is. Yeah, where you're like paper-based flipping. interactivity. <laughs> I love it. I like that kind of, you know, museum 1.0 though. Like, cause I feel like interactive yeah. displays now are like holograms that you have to scan your retina for or whatever. So right. I'm, I'm good <laughs> on the I'm happy to turn a page. Just flip some pages and you can see yeah. what goes from, you know, a, a, a Xerox of, of Jack's pencil work, uh, the original art with inking and so lettering like, Wow, on there's it. Captain America. That's what he looks like. I remember this page. You know, like, yes. that's cool. <laughs> that's right. yeah. So, um, so we, we've been we've been doing stuff like that. We've helped out um, uh, exhibits uh, around the world. Scholars ask us for, for uh, help with images and research and um we um, also uh, help out people who are publishing. You know, they're like, we're we're publishing X Y Z. You know, do you do you have that? Do you have that Kirby piece? And mm-hmm. if we do, we do. You know, and we can we can we can help them out. So it's 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 a great thing to be able to be in that position to to uh, you know kind of again like serve his legacy, right? Just to keep his name out there and have a place for him that he can people who were looking for him or, or on their travels, uh, you know, going down rabbit holes and suddenly they find Jack Kirby and hopefully we're providing some tasty treats along the way. Yeah. <laughs> regarding, you know. I think that the work you've all done over the last almost 20 years uh, has gone a long way to change the public opinion of his legacy i mean the thing about jack kirby is in life he didn't really get the respect until after and part of that is because he had so many disputes with the people who own the ip right when you're asking for more credit and they say actually you should get no credit the damnatio memoriae kind of factor of that is significant I think that his family has also done a lot to make sure that that is honored. While you guys were in operation, there was obviously the big legal dispute between them and Disney that seems to have been settled to the satisfaction of all parties. Right. Part of that seems to have been that he is now credited properly, or, you know, at least in a way that is uh, defensible. Acceptable. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) iconoclastic figures like that are always going to have a difficult time when they are in an environment that is inherently corporate even before these comics were corporatized it was still an ip generation thing it was work for hire and he was always more of 
a dreamer, right? Like more of a, a person who wanted to build worlds and, and things. It's actually not dissimilar to exactly what Chris Claremont experienced when in 1991, after 16 years, he was told, well, actually, you don't own these characters and we're going to do something else. And it's like, well, but right. wait, I, I, I spent 16 years and I created 400 <laughs> characters and I know exactly what's supposed to happen to all of them over the next 10 years. And you're telling me I'm done? <laughs> yeah. It's a rare medium that is like that. I mean, it's it's unusual. If you're a novelist, unless you die and you've left notes like Robert Jordan or whatever, they don't typically let someone else finish the story for you. Right. It's something that ongoing properties have that nothing else has. Right. It's very specific with the comic industry, without a doubt, where they could just take it away from you. <laughs> I was talking to Jonathan Hickman recently on this show last year. We were talking about Apocalypse, the, the character, and a listener had written in to ask why Hickman and Teeny Howard had emphasized Apocalypse's ancient Egyptian background and stuff over the celestial thing that has also been part of his backstory. And Hickman said that, frankly, he thinks most of the time when anyone who isn't Jack Kirby does the Celestials, it's not good. <laughs> he's like, and people have done great series, but I didn't think I would. I, he's like, I don't want to do that. I'm not Jack Kirby. What am I doing? Like, that's his, like, unique, weird brain that created this thing. And, you know, but of course, Jonathan Hickman's dream is to write the new gods. So clearly he's not like, I'm not going to touch any of it. But with the Celestials, <laughs> he was like, ah, that's flavor. I didn't want to touch it too hard. <laughs> You know, at the same time, I loved what Kieran Gillen recently did with The Eternals, which is probably the Jack Kirby project that was the least successful of the big ones. Like, they never quite managed to make it stick. I think maybe it felt too much like the fourth world, but also not enough like the fourth world. I don't know. But I thought that, that Kieran found a nice balance there. And there always is that aspirational is almost the only word I, I can think of for it, where you know, ironically, it's Excelsior. It's like you're always looking upward. You're looking to the stars. There's more out there. And this story that you guys are collecting is on some level his first foray into that, into the promise of, I mean, I guess, is this before or after Challengers of the Unknown? It's, Sky Masters, it's yeah. about the same time-ish. Very close. <laughs> it yeah. overlaps. I'm not that. an expert, so I was like, let me, you guys are experts, so I'll ask you. Right. Tom, what's your Jack Kirby origin story? Well, I started as a graphic designer after college, and I used to collect Jack Kirby comics exclusively, nothing else uh, before that as a teenager. And then I heard that he had died, and it made me go back into my comics and look at them and realize that what I've been missing all these years while being in college. So um, I eventually got into, at, at the design agency, I was at into web design and all that. So I created a website called What If Kirby that show and 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 just like Rand, seeing the Jack Kirby collector was phenomenal just to see Jack's pencils. And that inspired me to start trying to recreate them and have some of Jack Kirby's best inkers like Mike Royer, Joe Sinnott, uh, Dick Ayers to ink the recreated pencils. So I started this whole site. And in the meantime, I was involved with the museum um, coming up with the idea of doing the scanning and eventually joined the museum. And it's been great ever since. <laughs> I'm sure, no doubt, due to your own efforts now that you, I remember the what if Kirby stuff, actually. Now that I'm thinking, like, as, oh. 
I was on the, I'm 35, I'll be 36 soon, so I'm saying I'm 35 as long as possible. <laughs> I, it just feel, 36 just feels like, oh, like, you're like a real grown-up now, and you better have your shit together. <laughs> now, you can, now you're responsible. Right, like 35, I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm not old, I'm 35, you know? It's the oldest I've ever been, but... Uh, but so, uh, you know, I, I came up kind of on that early internet before we really knew what websites were that Rand was talking about. I mean, I had an Angel Fire page. I don't remember what was on it, but it was that <laughs> kind of time, right? Yeah. I was, I was like 12. I don't even remember. So, you know. They're making um, me feel old. <laughs> well, look, I mean, you know, uh, it is it is what it is. Uh, you know, unfortunately, time does march on. I have listeners to this podcast who are like, oh, that's so interesting that you were reading Grant Morrison's X-Men in high school and because, like, that's the year I was born. And I'm like, I'm going to <laughs> go walk into the sea. Thanks for that. <laughs> that's tidbit. right. I know. Um, <laughs> But I think that part of what's so interesting about Jack Kirby in particular is how much his visions of the sci-fi future became indelible and timeless. Because to so many people, that imagery, the colors and the circuits and the, you know, I just like, to me, if you ask, like, what does science fiction look like? I think of like, you know, UFOs from like 50s movies and then like, a mother box you know it's just like kind of, like that's just kind of what <laughs> yeah. it is is like those little doodads and the you know when they did uh when Taika Waititi did the Thor Ragnarok movie I was like finally a movie that fucking looks like a Marvel comic because I of know, all the Kirby great. referencing in the, in the yeah. color colors, schemes the they, there were finally colors in a Marvel movie and then also <laughs> like the backdrops and the, the matte paintings and stuff all had yes. that rich yeah. detailing and the sort of techno-organic almost vibe mm -hmm. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, someone who died when I was, I think, six years old had such a grip on me and has had such a grip on successive generations to the point where these adult children who speak to me about how much they like my show and they're in their 20s and they're born after 9-11 <laughs> and I get very stressed. But, <laughs> but you know, it, he appeals to them, too. And there's something there. And there's people who feel really strongly about championing him and his legacy even now that it is more widely recognized, his contributions to the medium and to all of these characters and properties that matter so much to so many people, there's still a real passion about, no, you don't understand how important the king was. Like, you don't get it. <laughs> there are very few creators, I think, comics creators who are no longer with us who provoke that level it feels different from the way people talk about Stan, where it's like he was everybody's grandpa, you know, like it was sort of a he was the Marvel mm -hmm. face that we all grew up yeah. with. And like we miss that guy. Promoter, marketer. Yeah. yeah. And an incredible salesman. I mean, the best in the biz. Yes. Famously. But there is something about Kirby that I think speaks to the same thing that the X-Men speak to in a lot of readers, which is the idea of being overlooked or underappreciated or not quite fitting in and trying to make your own way and having this, I mean, talk about a mutant power, right? Like this is someone with an artistic sensibility and ability that almost no one else has ever really had in his specific way. Like he's just so unique. I think that that idea of the mutant of the person who society won't acknowledge because of social difficulty, you know, like mm -hmm. is something that's, that's similar. And so even though his time on the X-Men was short, I really do think of him as very central to their initial DNA. Yeah. And it was a reoccurring 
theme for Jack to do the the whole idea of mutants. It wasn't something new that he just did with the X-Men. It was there's a history behind that as well. Well, even the Fantastic Four, right? Because the X-Men in the 60s, it's nuclear radiation that creates mutants. Claremont introduces the genetic minority element that has become so famous right but before that it was about the atomic age and so it wasn't that dissimilar from fantastic four where it's like oh the space race cosmic rays turned us into these freaks who can't participate in polite society one of the things that you mentioned earlier about technology and jack mm -hmm. i actually you know I, I had the the pleasure of actually interviewing him in in 92 oh wow yeah and it was all it was in under the guise of a particular kind of magazine that was very interested in in um like virtual reality and and uh stuff like that that in 1992 the everybody loved virtual reality come on right so, <laughs> and now you know, we they can't like, even get the metaverse off the ground I, you know it turns out no one wanted on, virtual reality right yeah <laughs> but we 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 decided to, to that you know all this stuff was going on and jack did this great virtual reality story and but we were like, let's go talk to Jack about, about technology. One of the great lines that came out of that interview was, I tried to give technology a sense of legend. Mm. That was like, wow, okay, Jack. And then the other one was, um, I brought the technology of 30, 30 years into the future. I always wanted the technology that my characters used to be you know, stuff that people were talking about was going to come in, in 30 years. So that those were kind of like the two technology things that that we were actually that he, he that he shared with us that that really, you know, when I just think about his machines and, and like, the you know, the, what the devices and the, you know, all the, the mother boxes and all even the stuff in, in um, <laughs> like what what was that hound or something that was in Skymasters? Um, you know, it's just, you know, it's just very it's very you can just see that. He was. He really liked the idea of bringing, um, you know, the, the the technology of the future into his stories, and to get get that sense of that it was, let that it was, you know, mythic. I've talked on my show about how he clearly was influenced by, and not on this early stuff, but but in the fourth world and the stuff that came afterward, Eternals and all of that, by. Eric von Daniken's Chariot of the Gods. Chariots of the Gods, rather. Yeah. It's actually Chariots of the Gods? Question mark. But gods? I rarely say yeah, it that way. Question mark? Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, which, if people aren't familiar, is sort of uh, one of the big ancient astronaut books that sort of was a popular fringe theory at the time that's pseudoscientific, but an interesting idea. And I don't think Kirby was like, yes, like, you know, this island is proof of aliens, the way that that book kind of says. But right. I think that he was really interested in the idea, what if the divine is just, it's, it's Arthur C. Clarke, right? It's like, what if the divine, as we fail to understand it and just have fear and faith in it and about it, yeah. what if that's just aliens? What if that's just, you know, right. some, and, and yeah. so right. that's part yeah. of his Thor mythos to some extent with his version of Asgard, which is clearly like an advanced technological kind of society in some ways, right? And Journey into Mystery. They're on a wooden Viking ship in space. Right, yeah. And then <laughs> yeah. after Chariots of the Gods in 68, you get the new gods, the fourth world stuff, which is like all that with the mother boxes and this and that. Right. It is really about making modern technology or speculative technology into something that feels old and feels mythic. Yeah. That's right. 
he did that more successfully than almost anyone I can think of. Certainly anyone who preceded him. I mean, I think that there are a lot of people who came after him who do incredible work with that motif. But to me, if you ask me, like, who is the best, who was the best at achieving that strange liminal feeling, it was always him. Yeah. The Celestials are scary. Like, you look at them and you're like, I hate that. I don't like looking at it. <laughs> But it, like it's, I like looking. It's beautiful, but I'm also like very uncomfortable, you know. And and, and, the, and the the guys in the Pentagon are like, get a picture of his face. Get a picture of his face. Like that's all they cared about was like a right. picture of his face. Yeah, right. just it's disturbing me if I can't see him. Yeah, I don't like that. It's just a big got a big helmet on. Like, what the point? Yeah, yeah, I don't see eyes, nose. It's unpleasant. Like, what is that? I hate it. <laughs> Kirby also did that graphic novelization of 2001 A Space Odyssey. And the same vibe there is like, what is this monolith? We hate it. It's inexplicable. Like, what is that? It's horrible. Why is it? Just... And it's just standing there and it's just a monolith. Quiet, standing in silence. Yeah, what is that? I hate this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> On some level, that's like God, right? Is like if you're if you're asking the question of like where did we come from and like is there a higher power? It's sort of like well, if there is, it's just kind of sitting there and not saying anything to us. And like, what do we, how, <laughs> how do right. we feel about that? Right? <laughs> yeah. It's a very I mean, again, it's it's a very Jewish approach to the divine i think to be like okay we have some kind of responsibility to this ancient force but like i'm not really sure what it is or what it wants from me <laughs> as opposed to i think a lot of christian writers it's more about like oh i have to make it right with god or like i have you know this guilt about it and here it's just sort of like man i don't know <laughs> it's the big there's unknown. some kind of covenant but nobody told me the rules and it's got a lot of <laughs> right. weird blinking lights on it and i'm uncomfortable like but i guess <laughs> i should do something galactus is a very old testament character right like it's just sort of like well sometimes god shows up and eats the world and it's just kind of well not personal like <laughs> right hungry. he's hungry yeah. yeah didn't make the grade i guess i don't know what to tell you <laughs> yeah yeah. X-Men, X-Men. Hey, everybody. We're doing things a little differently today because I'm excited, as Connor Goldsmith, your host, to tell you about Cerebro's extraordinary new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is an incredible mobile game, every comic book fan's dream. In this mobile squad RPG, you can assemble a team of your favorite superheroes and supervillains. Personally, I'm enjoying using Dr. Lorna Dane and the iconic Madeline Jennifer Pryor to save the universe from cosmic threats like Apocalypse and Doctor Doom. Power up your favorite Marvel characters to complete missions, unlock special gear and other resources, and battle other Marvel fans in PvP modes like Alliance War and the Real-Time Arena. Right now, Marvel Strike Force is celebrating their six-year anniversary with a special Deadpool event, and you can sign up using Cerebro's unique link, available right now in the description of every Cerebro episode. You'll get free stuff in the game just for signing up through this promotion, with weekly bonuses and events all through the anniversary storyline. Log in every day to get special skins, rewards, and the brand new characters being released to celebrate six years of Marvel Strike Force. This is the game's most generous event to date, and I, for one, can't wait to see all the goodies I can unlock. This promo code works for every new user, but please follow the unique link in this episode description to download Marvel Strike Force so they know I sent you. Use the promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and have a blast with this immersive Marvel experience. Thanks to Marvel Entertainment and the team at Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. We now return you to the show. X-Men, X-Men. What is it about Skymasters that you found so interesting as something to collect for your first crowdfunding project? 
Well, I mean, what it is, is it, it's actually a labor of love from um, Ferran Delgado from Spain. He is a, a designer and he's uh, a, been uh, designing, he started out designing um, work for Marvel Comics in Spain. And uh, now he's doing lettering work in the U.S. in, 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 in American comics. But it, this is this is his uh, dream project was to to collect Sky Masters, and um, we've been he's been a supporter of ours probably I think since the beginning um, when we were founded he reached out and it was just it's just great it's like hey a guy from Spain you know sure. we, we love it you know it's great it's always exciting to go global like whenever Spotify it's, Wrapped is like you were streamed in eighty one countries I'm like that's fucking insane but like cool yeah, I love that <laughs> yeah, for that me. was that was part of the reason for shout out too. to the two listeners in Kuwait you guys rule correct. Like, so Ferran like spent all this time um, compiling the best copies of the the, the uh, Sky Masters and uh, the daily strips and the Sunday strips, and the the Sunday strips are fun because they're in color and they're big, and um, he he published in Spain um, the the daily strips, and then he decided to publish the uh, Sundays in English, but it was a very small edition. You can actually find th this book on, you know, out there. It's hard. It's hard to find, and it's expensive. His first edition. Well, a um, full a but, full photo book from Spain in English is probably like a pretty limited print run. Yeah, I work yeah. in publishing. That would be very expensive to me. There we go. So, so yeah, but Rand, Rand, you also helped him with that whole process of bringing it to the United States, right? I did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I I, I, I helped him, yeah. and um, you know, he was. The shipping was weird. He was, you know, wherever it was printed, he would send me, you know, boxes of 10 books. And then I would I would reship them out to the people that that had bought them from him. And I I, I did some um, some help in, in, you know, some of his uh, language, you know, language challenges, you know, copy editing and stuff like that. But um, he we just realized that it, since it was it was nominated for an Eisner, mm -hmm. did not win. It's a lovely book. And we just were looking, we were actually being, we were approached by the guys at Zoop quite a few times at conventions. And we're like, well, you know, we, we actually worked something out with Ferran where, where we now have the English language rights to, to, to the book. So he, he's publishing other things in Spain, in Spanish, and he could work it out with people in France or wherever, or, you know, Portugal. But um as far as English language stuff is concerned, that's that's our our bailiwick for this for this project, and just the combination that you know the two came together. We said, well, okay, Zoop, Zoop really wants to do something with us, and for we've got Ferenc's book, right? So let's let's like let's like you know put some effort into it and, and make it happen, and and see see if people you know want want to take it you know uh, take in this this fantastic uh, late late 50s Kirby space space story right it's a really interesting time in comics to revisit also because it's right oh. before Kirby and Lee invent Fantastic Four and everything that came afterwards it's sort of the transition between the war comic or the pulp comic era of like horror comics and and you know hard sci-fi the bridge I mean you can see a lot of 
the stuff that was brewing in his head that would become Fantastic Four. You can kind of see right. here yeah. starting to happen. Also, I, f I realize I keep calling it Sky Masters. Like it's, I realize it's supposed to be a pun, but I keep calling it Sky Masters. Like it, that's like a job to have, but it's actually Sky Masters. Like it's, it's the name of the character. It's a Sky Masters yes, of the Space character. Force. Yeah. <laughs> For no. the people listening, I'm like, I keep saying it like it's a job title, but it's actually like a dude with the astronaut himself. Yeah. Uh, Skylar Masters called Sky. <laughs> that's right that's very claremonty except that if chris claremont invented sky masters of the space force it would be a woman and it would be short for i mean i guess it could still be short for skylar because he loved to give a woman a man's he loved yeah, the far right. through the ship captain and all of that that's right <laughs> but he was a big kirby fan himself so that that mm -hmm. tracks if this goes well do you think that more crowdfunding projects are in the future for the museum because it is a nice way you know like you said you can't really get the art to display it in a space because it's so prohibitively expensive and mostly owned by collectors who are really not interested in donating it. But it's a way of, of going beyond the digital, right? Like creating a, a physical object that people could buy and can have, and then the work is archived in a physical form. Uh, so I, I think it's an exciting idea. Do you guys have more prospects down the line, perhaps? Absolutely. This is the first um, release that we're doing under the name of the Kirby Museum Press. So the idea behind that is that there would be future Kirby Museum Press books. Very cool. Because he has so much stuff that really, I mean, leaving aside all of the work that's been destroyed because nobody thought that you should preserve comic book pencils in the 50s. It just didn't occur to anybody <laughs> to do. They're like, we don't have enough paper to do that. We got to recycle this paper. Yeah. Leaving that aside, because every now and then something turns up that was thought lost and that's always exciting. There's just so much stuff that's not Marvel work or DC work that therefore is not widely collected, widely disseminated, or even widely read uh, by people who consider themselves big Jack Kirby fans. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who love Jack Kirby and have never read Sky Masters of the Space Force. So there's something exciting about the archaeology of sort of digging up and displaying a lesser quote-unquote work that people aren't always as familiar with. So I think that more things like this would be great yeah. to have. And I think that Kirby is lucky <laughs> on some level to have people who care that much 30 years after he died to get this stuff out there. It's nice. It's it's a nice, it's what every, I think, creative would hope for, right? Is that like long after you're right. gone, people are like, but have you read Sky Masters of the Space Force? Because no one has published <laughs> it properly and I'm going to do it. Oh, right. What else is uh, worth saying is that the art, it's not the typical X-Men or, or Marvel art. It's um, very detailed art. And, and that's a lot of it's due to Wally Wood, who was an excellent ink inker. He also inked for Marvel mm -hmm. as well. Daredevil stuff, I want to say in the sixties. Yeah, right? correct. Yeah. So people, people with this, with a thought of, you know, a typical Kirby design, you know, drawing will look at this in a different way, I think. It's the backdrops that I find most sort of startling. Oh, yeah. They're, they're the so stars, detailed. the moons, the yeah. everything. Yeah. Because I think of that like Kirby crackle and like the sort of indistinct shapes that suggest backgrounds in a lot of Kirby's Marvel work. And then yes. here, yeah. I guess because it's a newspaper strip, right? It almost looks like one of those. I mean, he had worked on romance comics. It almost has that kind of quality where like 
it's a more realistic backdrop and like you yes. know Susie yeah. and Bill are kissing in front of the Big Ben and you have to draw the whole freaking <laughs> clock like that kind True. of vibe of like the more yeah. photorealistic yeah. comics from back then which is fun in a sci-fi because it really looks like you know I I my dad loves like old B movies and stuff and it kind of feels like watching one of those old black and white movies or a color one in the Sunday strips but just because all of those movies even the low budget ones they built those fake machines they had people standing around in real rooms whereas in a comic book we might expect like well that background sure is blue and sort of like vaguely designating that we're like in a hangar here you're in the hangar like you can see it there's a lot of details and a lot of that probably is the inking because it's so lush and and detailed yeah i think it was a coup for for him to get wally wood absolutely he was really excited about that. I think Wood was excited about it too. I, you know, Wood for until until he passed, there were all, all he was always looking for opportunities to ink Kirby again. You know, well, they work beautifully together, and I mean, yeah. Kirby. The thing that's interesting about Kirby's work, I mean, there's many interesting. One thing that's interesting about Kirby's work, and this is true of anybody, but because he didn't have a super consistent inker throughout his career. It looks so, so different depending on yeah. who's the, and, and I guess also he, because he had light pencils, like he wasn't, he was more of like a, here's the layout, like here are my figures, here's what I'm doing. Go wild. Inking is its own thing. I'm not the inker, like you know what you're doing. Whereas I think that a lot of artists would be like, here's how I would like it to look. Mm-hmm. And he sort of gave them a little bit more free reign uh, with the inks. The very dark rich detailed inks on this were sort of surprising to me because I think of that the brightness and the big shapes of that 60s Silver Age Kirby stuff and it it really does look very different even though this is recognizably him like the faces are the same the figures look the same but I'm like huh this is something different and interesting and special and I'm excited to uh, get it so this collection is it just the Sunday strips or are the dailies going to be included as well it is just the Sundays because the dailies are already are better collected is my understanding because it's black and white they are easily found yeah but i i will say uh ferran is is publishing right now he's publishing a spanish edition of the dailies and those dailies are going to be the best looking dailies printed in the modern era so very cool who owns this property now does anybody or is it like one of those things like charlton comics where a million people have like where DC is like, we own Charlton Comics, but then like other people are like, do you though? Like, yeah, it's up in the air enough that individual people yeah. can, because it was a syndicated comic yes. right? yeah. in a, new, a newspaper. It doesn't comic. exist anymore. Right. Like time. that syndicate, I'm sure, has ceased to be. So, yes. and it was before yeah. the time when syndicates would cease to be because like Disney or Google bought them. So it's, I, I wasn't right. like absorbed yeah. into a larger <laughs> conglomerate. No. That's cool too, because it's part of. This is why what you do really is museum work. The preservation of art from the early 20th century or the first half of the 20th century, I guess this is a little after the first half, but you get what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. I did television studies in grad school and like we have lost almost all of that from the early television age because we don't have the tapes. They didn't keep them. And this is that same kind of thing. And so every little bit we have matters and and is part of the legible history of this medium that now is the backbone of so much multimedia. I mean, so much of what 
we walk around. I mean, uh, you know, you go to Disneyland now and there's all these kids with Jack Kirby t-shirts on, like with the art and stuff. And you're like, that's different. Like, that's very different from even when mm-hmm. I was young, you know, in the nineties and, and no one had heard of anyone but Wolverine and Spider-Man. Right. Like it was not right. You know, it's just, it's a very different yeah. world. And so seeing where it came from, I think is important just as it is with any other art form. And now that we've got a hundred years of this stuff, a hundred years of Jack Kirby, I mean, this is, uh, he would be what, 105, 106, right. something like that now? Seven, yeah, six, six, yeah, 106, yeah. I'm not a math guy. I'm just like, <laughs> I was vaguely around. I'm like, he, I know how old he was when he died. So I'm like doing vague <laughs> math. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's just something that I think is exciting. And I hope that this is just the first Jack Kirby Museum Press project, because I would love to see more. I would love to see his romance work collected more effectively, because I love those old romance comics. They're crazy. Oh, they're the best. Yeah. Yeah. I love like an apartment 3G, speaking of like a syndicated newspaper comic. Like, I love all of that wacky. Yeah. Or like when when uh, when Stan did it again in the seventies and they did Night Nurse and all of that stuff, or like Patsy Walker, all that. Like I think that that stuff's great, and it's a shame that comics these days, because of the wild success that Kirby and Lee had with Marvel, and that DC was also having with Batman and Superman and those characters. If you say comics, people think superhero comics, and there is a much vaster yeah. history. So much more, yeah. And part of that was the comics code, obviously, saying that for decades that you couldn't make war comics, or you couldn't make horror comics or things like that. You know, I just think what you guys are doing is really cool. And I was really flattered to be asked to, to chat about it. So thank you for that opportunity. And thank you for what you do. I think it's really key to uh, the study of this medium to have the material <laughs> available to read because otherwise you're just reading other people's synopses and and th- there's value in that too I, I mean i hope so because my show a lot of my show is just me summarizing right. comic books that the listeners haven't read but uh i do think that there's no substitute for reading the work yourself it's true yeah and thank you for inviting us oh well it's my pleasure can, can we just talk about Jack and the X-Men for a moment? Absolutely. We can talk as long as you want. I don't have anywhere to be. I'm, I, just know, want, I, a... I just want to, one of the things I do is like sometimes I'll do um, uh, on his on his birthday in, in late August, um, I'll do walking tours on, in, in, on the Lower East Side, uh, a place that he hated and really wanted to get out of as quickly <laughs> as he could. And even in death, never has, clearly, right? Yeah, yeah no, so I still bring him <laughs> back. Sorry, Jack. But, you know, it's a, it's a good story, you know? Um, but like one of the, 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 the I, I will often do a, a trivia questions, um, uh, uh, trivia contest, you know, to give prizes away. And, and for some reason, because I'm on the Lower East Side, Jack, you know, he, he was, um, he was living in poverty as many, many, many people did on the Lower East Side. They were mm-hmm. squeezed in and they were working in factories and all kinds of stuff. But when he, he became a, um, so he, he, Played with his pals on the street, handball, um, trouble, gotten fights with with the, the neighboring kids. They oh, were... he was a big fighter. That's one of my favorite things about. He Jack was a fighter. Kirby. Yeah, he was. A... When he wanted to go downstairs from the Marvel office to go fight those Nazis outside yeah. or whatever, that's yeah, yeah, one yeah, of yeah. my or... favorite stories. He's like, I was gonna beat the shit out of him. He was, <laughs> he was fighting so much that he that he got on the subway and went up to the Bronx to see how if they fought any differently up there. 
Like he just got off the subway and like, come on, let's go. Well, it's very like Street Fighter, right? It's like you travel the world, yeah. you got to learn all. But like in this case, it's like the five boroughs. But like I'm sure that the styles right. were quite different and still are to this day, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. you know? I don't know. I'm not much of a physical fighter myself, but I'm, um, I'm theorizing. Yeah. So, but he, he ended up at this place called the BBR, the Boys Brotherhood Republic. And that's where he became kind of a citizen, where he was in, you know, what, what it meant to be civilized. <laughs> and, and it was a place where they, you know, the boy, the boys were like self, self-governing. And um, that I think was, was the basis for so, the, the, both his buddies on the street and the BBR were the basis for Kirby's long interest in bickering teams of children and adults mm -hmm. and that i'll often in my trivia questions I'll, I'll i'll start talking about the newsboy legion and the yancey street gang and yancey, the... i'll talk, ask about the yancey street gang and then I'll, i will talk about the x-men as as another kid gang from jack kirby for you sure know, they, you know my show is more focused on claremont and what came afterward because sure. i think that's when x-men clicked for oh, most yeah. people and stan and jack would be the first people to say it. like our x-men didn't click but the uh the thing that i find most fascinating about x-men in the 60s as someone who grew up in westchester county and who is of a mixed irish and jewish background connor goldsmith it's sort of a self-explanatory name it's right what it says on the <laughs> tin right yeah there's something really fascinating about the way that the x-men in the 60s are white kids passing for human in these suburbs and they go to a special school that they're not supposed to tell their friends about because their friends will react to them differently and it's all very academia focused and it's like it's it, it's sort of about these kids at shul right but what's so interesting is like Jean Grey is this all-american girl who's like Scots Irish or something and then Warren Worthington is like the waspiest yacht club like, like the, the yacht club that Warren's parents belong to Jews were not allowed in I'm sure so <laughs> just in the in the 60s there's no way right that is such an indelible part of this story. And so it's a combination of, like when the X-Men are arguing with Professor Xavier, it's not just teens arguing with their mentor or with their authority figure. It's not just the, hey teacher, leave us kids alone kind of vibe. It's these kids saying to the rabbi, like, we want to go out and do our own thing. And I think that mm -hmm. that is interesting, too. And that's what Chris Claremont, who was also a Jewish writer, although uh, half raised Catholic, like similarly a complicated New York mix. But he uh, or I guess he was born in the UK, but grew up in New York. But with Kitty Pride, I mean, the the core of the 80s X-Men becomes Kitty Pride looking around and going adults are fucking crazy like what is going on here and being this jewish yeah. girl who's like hey adults like genocide let's not could we not <laughs> that to right. me is also like a very jack kirby mentality that's cool it's nice yeah. to see how the torches get passed and how even mm -hmm. someone who didn't stay on the project for very long if they are such a unique mind and you know grant morrison was only on x-men for like three years but 20 years later everybody's still talking about that run in sort of a similar way because it was like let's reinvent the whole wheel like let's just do yeah. something crazy yeah yeah it sticks it really does stick and so he comes up on my show all the time even though again he only drew like 11 issues of it out of the thousands and thousands and thousands of issues that I try to cover on this show. Yeah. That's great.
Well, you're great. Thanks for coming. I've uh, I've really enjoyed this. <laughs> Oh. And uh, I'll see you at a con. I'm sure. Do you guys do San Diego or just oh, yeah. absolutely? Okay, Maybe yeah. Well, I'll yeah. I'll come bother you next time. Excellent, excellent. All right, we look forward and to get it. a t-shirt. I would love a t-shirt. I love a t-shirt <laughs> moment. So we'll. Oh, that's actually really cute. Okay, I would like that specific t-shirt. So I will. And I want this book when it's ready. So send me a. All right. Send me the book, and I will I will put it all over Instagram. All right. I, I don't actually have a big Instagram following, but I'll pretend that oh. I do so that I can be like, oh, okay. here, look, buy this book. It's so good. Like, like, I'll go, very like Vanna White, like here's what you've won, you know? Yeah, okay, yeah. I'll put on one of those one of those cocktail dresses and be like, hey, right, it is. Right. <laughs> but thank you guys. This has been great. This is an exciting project and I hope it's just the first of many to come. All right. Thank you, Connor. Thank you. Why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you guys online and support the Jack Kirby Museum, support this crowdfund, links, et cetera, whatnot, because this is a nonprofit and it depends on passionate fans of this medium and this artist to keep all of this going. Go ahead. Our website is kirbymuseum.org. We are at Jack Kirby Museum all over most of the social media. YouTube, we've been doing a lot of YouTube uh, live streams over the last few years. Uh, we're taking a break from that right now, but uh, we would love people to join us. And while we go through issues of uh, Kirby's comics and share original art or scans of uh, photo uh, pencils and stuff Never like that, seen. talk about his <laughs> stories. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I don't have the Zoop URL, zoop.gg, I believe. Yes, zoop.gg. And uh, the project specifically is Sky Masters of the Space Force. This crowdfund campaign goes live on Tuesday the 9th, which is coming up. But you can pre-order uh, or, or at least set up a pre-notification of when it will go live right. right now. And then it'll ping you and go, hey, we need your money now. And then you can send your money. Right. But this is a great platform, the Zoop folks have reached out to me a couple times with different opportunities i've had a couple guests on who were promoting stuff and it's always exciting to see new avenues for crowdfunded work because god knows we need them <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah true. You can follow Cerebro on Instagram at CerebroCast. You can follow me on Instagram at Connor Goldsmith. I am no longer on Twitter, but you can find all of the episodes plus links to the Discord server, the merch store, and much, much more at CerebroCast.com, the official landing page for the podcast for $5 a month at the House of Zaladane tier at Patreon.com slash CerebroCast. You can get an ad-free version of every episode the minute they come out, plus exclusive access to the secret files, bonus episodes, that are a little bit different. The Claremont read-along is resuming. And on Christmas Day, I put out the first installment of Worrying About It, my series of solo presentations about things in the X-Men franchise that I've told you not to worry about during the podcast because they're very confusing and breaking them down for you. The first one is on the Black Womb Project, Fabian Nicieza's big sprawling conspiracy from the 90s that has become relevant again through Kieran Gillen's work in the Krakoan age. I also have a lot of big plans for the Patreon in 2024. So please do sign up if you love the show. I am trying to make this my main thing, guys. And unfortunately, <laughs> I also need to be crowdfunded. So <laughs> <laughs> check yeah. it out. And uh, until next time, everybody, thank you for the support and bye.
All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. <laughs> X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, people mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world.